Mindfulness Mode 177. A mindful way of thinking about how you use the space and then making that space work for you. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, we talk about how people from all walks of life have discovered mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives to help them become more calm, focused, and happy. Hey, Mindful Tribe, so good to have you with us. Thanks for joining us. If you're a podcaster or maybe you're interested in starting a podcast, I've got a tip for you today. There's an awesome event happening in Orlando, Florida, February 23rd to the 25th. I've been invited to be a speaker again this year, and I have to say, what a great event to go to, to meet great people, learn about podcasting, and just have an overall terrific time. It's called PodFest Multimedia Expo. Check it out online at podfest.us. That's www.podfest.us. And like I say, thanks for being here today. We're only days away from the new year, like three days to go to 2017. And do you find yourself thinking about getting organized in 2017? I know I do. You know, today's guest will help you with that. The mindset of organization. That's what she's about. She's helped thousands of people reclaim their homes and get organized. So let's sit back, relax, and learn how to get organized by being mindful. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I am really excited today. I've got Lisa Woodruff here on the on the line, and she's an organizational expert. So, Lisa, are you in mindfulness mode? I am. Well, Lisa Woodruff is a professional organizer and productivity specialist from Cincinnati, Ohio. Lisa has helped thousands of women reclaim their homes and finally get organized with her practical tips, encouragement, and humor through her blog and podcast at Organize365.com. Lisa is also the best-selling author of The Mindset Organization, Take Back Your Home, one phase at a time. So, Lisa, what does mindfulness mean to you? Well, Bruce, thank you so much for having me on your podcast and introducing me to your tribe. And I was just talking to you a little bit in the pre-interview chat about how I have looked at mindfulness really as mindset, and I'll talk about that quite a bit in this interview. But more recently, I'm realizing that mindfulness is a little bit different than mindset, but In both things, I think that being mindful or changing your mindset to me is thinking and looking at things from a big picture view as opposed to, you know, just the day to day or the immediacy of things. Mm -hmm. So when that comes to organizing your house, I tend to look at home organization from a mindset perspective of not how do we organize the silverware drawer or how can we store all of the kids baby clothes, but Why are you saving the baby clothes to begin with? Like, what are you going to do with them? Or what is the purpose behind that? And if you're not going to give all of these baby clothes to your children when they have babies, what if you took your favorites and made that into a baby blanket for your child, if they're still a baby, or for your grandchild, and just save that memory in a meaningful way? Another um, example, if you don't have children, is one that I run into a lot is people in the Gen X Um, 
generation are inheriting a lot of China from the baby boomers and the silent generation because, you know, World War II, people would register for China. That was a big thing to register for your wedding. And a lot of families will have formal China. It took them a lot of time and money to invest and get this heirloom. And then when their children, who were baby boomers, when they got married, they had China also. And so often a lot of these Gen Xers who only had maybe one or two siblings or no siblings are inheriting a lot of China from their parents, their aunts and uncles and their grandparents. And they don't know what to do with all of this formal China they don't use today. And so I often encourage people to take maybe a teacup from each set for each girl in the family and put a really nice ribbon on it and put it on the Christmas tree if they celebrate Christmas mm-hmm. Or do something else with those china cups as opposed to keeping the entire sets of china that they aren't using. So that's kind of how I think about mindfulness as it comes to organizing your house. Wow, I really like that and I really resonate with it. As we speak, we have some boxes of china sitting (laughs) in our house because sadly my mother-in-law just passed away earlier. Oh, I'm sorry. A month ago. And uh, yeah, so... But I mean, she lived a, it's, it's funny I'm talking to you because she lived an organized life. She lived a really um, intentional life and a wonderful life. And it's, it's, I really feel happy that she did live such a, a wonderful life. And then she came to, to the end and she knew it was the end. And even that was intentional. But what do wow. we do with the China? You know, not to not to be, you know, minimizing the fact that, you know, my mother-in-law has passed away. But, okay, so how can we get that China into the hands of someone who will really love and cherish it? Right. And I think, uh, you know, mindfully going forward, this is going to become a huge issue as the baby boomers start to retire and downsize these houses they've lived in for 35, 45 years. You know, that the oldest baby boomers, my parents are the oldest baby boomers, Mm -hmm. and they are in their late 60s. -hmm. So they haven't even really started retiring yet, and they all have China. So if you're dealing with the China uh, issue specifically, there's a company I like in North Carolina called replacements.com. And if you go on there, they will buy it. And then people who have China and they still use China, they go there and they buy pieces as they break or as, you know, my mother-in-law is still collecting the china. <laughs> She's in her 70s sure. and I think she has four sets of china and she still buys it mm-hmm. from replacement. So they're still buying it, but that's that's one way that you could do that or you could just donate it. Sure, of course. And so here's another question, Lisa. So many mm-hmm. of us have a sentimental attachment. I'm not so much that way, I don't think, but my wife is. And she feels that so many of the pieces, the furniture, some of these, and and some of this furniture, my mother-in-law refinished. So there's this sentimental attachment. How do we deal with the mindset of that when we already have a house full of furniture? Yes, I talk about this a lot in my podcast. And, And what I say is that it usually takes about five years from the passing of a loved one for you to really be able to separate them from their stuffs. So if this just happened this year, you're looking at about five years for your wife to really be able to separate the memories of her mother from the stuff that she has. And there's no way to speed up this process. Um, and, and it just happens over time because right now her stuff is so entangled with 
her mom and the experiences she's going through. And there are so many things that have to be done right away. The funeral, the selling of the house, you know, settling the estate. And so it takes longer to get to the things like, what do you deal with with the China? The other thing that I notice in my generation is as we're dealing with our parents' houses, and I've done this with my father, you know, this is our inheritance. This is what our parents have left to us, saved for us, wanted us to have. And so it's their last gift to us. And sometimes you're trying to get the monetary value out of it. Sometimes you're trying to save the memories. Um, they're just There's just a lot entangled in that. And it just takes time to slowly decide, okay, we really don't need the furniture. That's not my style. My parents aren't really in the furniture. But things like china and baby clothes and mementos are much harder to get rid of because they are more your loved one than the actual, like a piece of furniture. Right. Right. Well, you know, it's kind of funny because I think one of the one of the most cherished gifts my mother-in-law left me was that she was so organized and I can still see the look on her face looking at me and she was shaking her head when she saw our basement. And yes. she's just like, Bruce, get rid of it. <laughs> like, and so that inspires me, you know, like that lives on. And I'm like, yes, I have to be intentional. I have to take the time and just like, even if it's just corner off a little section of the basement and say, I'm just going to clear out this one little area. Is that a good way to approach it, Lisa? I love that. I love that you're bringing this up because for the last five years, I purposefully have been organizing my own home from complete chaos until very organized. It's very organized right now. And this year, I really challenged myself just because it's organized doesn't mean that I should keep everything that I have. And I went through my storage room, like you're saying, and I got rid of 10 things I had been keeping for 30 years that I did not need to be keeping. But they still worked. Maybe I would use them one day or I owned them and had already paid for them. And it's my house. Why should I get rid of them? Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't need the skis I had in high school. I don't need the fake trees I used to decorate the house with. I don't need the encyclopedias that nobody is using anymore. And so really looking at your stuff, what are you saving, especially as you start to age? Because God forbid something happens to me tomorrow, 85% of the stuff in this house is legitimately mine. It's not my kids and my husband's, Mm -hmm. it's mine. And do we really need it? So my new goal is to not have anything in my storage room. Like, why am I storing stuff? Right. Yeah, I really like that. You know, and I think that the whole mindset behind this this idea that there is some kind of attachment to something that I'm really not using and clothes. There's another topic. How do we deal <laughs> with clothes, a closet full of clothes that I'm looking, yeah, this still fits me. I, I could still wear this. Oh, I did wear it. Like, I can't remember when. <laughs> How do I deal with this, right. Lisa? So, you know, I think... As you're listening to this interview, you need to think about what generation you're in. So, Bruce, I'm a Gen Xer. What generation are you? I'm a baby baby boomer. Oh, you are a baby boomer. Yes. Okay. So, millennials who are listening to this podcast may have already tuned out, but don't tune out, millennials, because you're going to get all this stuff. So, you need <laughs> to listen to why we have it. So, in my experience, um, the, the generation 
that is older than baby boomers is the silent generation. They were born during the Great Depression. They were raised uh, in the 30s, and then they had their children in the 40s and 50s. And so they never had a lot of material possessions, and the ones that they did were very thoughtfully purchased. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the baby boomers were born in one of the most abundant times in American society, and they've always been marketed to. Like the marketing agencies still ignore Gen Xers, and they're still targeting baby boomers because they've always been consumers. Mm. And so they've always been able to purchase more than any other generation before or since has been able to purchase. So they have more stuff, but yet it still wasn't as easy to buy as it is for, let's say, millennials. Like I'm so used to ordering on Amazon, I can get whatever I want in two days. Uh, Baby boomers do purchase that way today, but it's not how they grew up purchasing things. They had to go to the store, buy it, bring it home. You know, it was, it was an event. Yes. So to buy clothing, like like I buy so much of our clothing online. I took my daughter to the uh, mall the other day and went shopping. I could not believe how inexpensive clothing is at the store. I realized that by buying from resale shops, I was almost paying full price because the price of clothing has come down so substantially. Items are no longer hard to come by. Quality is much higher than it ever has been and prices are lower than they ever have been before. So if you have the mentality of, Like growing up, we would buy nice sweaters. My mom would buy me really nice, expensive sweaters, one or two every year. And we would save those. And I would have these sweaters for decades. Mm -hmm. That's not how people buy clothing anymore. So you need to think about how was clothing purchased in the past? How do you currently purchase clothing? How much does it cost? How often do you wear it? And then look at your closet and say, okay, I don't need to keep this really nice sweater from 20 years ago because I don't wear sweaters anymore. But it's hard to let go of uh, the way you used to purchase and use items. So it's a conscious thought process as to how you would replace that item if you needed it today. Right, right. I think some uh, some of us just feel a sense of being defeated at times. And that sense can be very overwhelming. And how can you use mindfulness to just kind of get past that sense of overwhelm and just be, you know, well, take action? Yeah, I I 100% agree. So if you're going to start in your closet, maybe what you do is take out, um, well, here's a real easy way to do it. I'm sure you've heard this before. Turn all your hangers backwards. So, you know, they're not hung normally on the rod. They're hung backwards. So it's harder to get them off the rod. Hang them all backwards. And at the end of six months, see what you haven't worn. That's one easy way to see what you haven't worn. That's real simple, easy solution. Another thing would be to go through and go ahead and eliminate, I like to say 50% the first time, Mm -hmm. like ruthlessly eliminate everything that you don't wear. If you don't want to get rid of it, totally fine. Like get rid of the things you know you can get rid of. But let's say there are um, 20 outfits that you're not sure. Maybe you would use them. Maybe you wouldn't. Go ahead and bag those up for goodwill and put them in your basement. Mm -hmm. And then six months from now, if you've never gone for them, just take the bags right to the car. But at least they're there just in case you needed them. Some people need that extra time or security that it's down there in case I found I really do need that skirt for that event. Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. So... Is there a way to kind of get prepared for this moment when I'm going to take action? Do I need to meditate first, Lisa? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm kind of being a little silly because I, I actually do meditate every single day. But is meditation part of your life? 
you know, it's so funny because uh, as of the last two days, <laughs> that's why it's just so funny that you say that because um, I'm reading this book. I think it's called um, Think Big or Think Bigger. Hold on. I'll look it up while we're on the phone. Sure. Uh, Playing Big okay. by Tara Moore. Playing Big. Right. And she walks you through this episode of going into the future and seeing your 20 years into the future, future self. Uh-huh. And so I did the exercise yesterday morning and I failed at it. <laughs> I couldn't see the person's face. The house didn't really work. And she gave me all bad advice. Like it was a very negative picture. Luckily, Tara said in the book that sometimes this happens. So this morning I was like, I'm redoing it. So I redid it and it wasn't hundred percent clear, but I got a better picture. And I was like, okay, I could see how seeing myself in the future in this way, in this mindfulness way, in this stopping, mm-hmm. listening, meditating way is different than how I normally do it, which is What's my goal for the next 30 years and and trying to go? So, yes, I would say if you're in the mindfulness practice, then I would definitely sit down and meditate and say, you know, I would maybe start. I'm not very good at so you'll have to correct whatever I'm saying that's wrong, but maybe go into that meditation saying, okay, what do I look and feel great in? what do I love about myself? Like what part of my body do I like to accentuate with my clothing? Mm -hmm. And what is the right amount of clothing for me to have? Like in our family, we don't have a lot of clothing. I do laundry every week and pretty much 80% of the clothes are dirty every week because we just don't have a lot of extra clothes. But I would rather have it that way than have double the amount of clothes and have half of them unworn. Right. So And then hear for yourself, like, what are the clothes that are best for you? What looks best on your body? And what's a good number for you? No one can say what a good number of clothing is for you that's individualized. Right. Yeah. I get certain clothes that I wear for a period of time, and then I just really feel comfortable in those clothes. And so I like what you're saying. I like to just have not too many and just kind of rotate between them. And then, of course, we have the seasons because, you know, then we have to transition when it becomes cold and we have the snow and the cold weather. And do you do you take your other clothes and get them right out of your closet or do you just leave them there? Or what do you do, Lisa? So we keep all of our clothes in one closet. Now we do have a walk-in closet. Our master closet is Mm walk-in. It's not huge, but it is a walk-in closet. And the kids both have regular standard closets. And so all of our clothes are in there and I just um, move them on the rod so it's easier to get the ones that are the current season and harder to get the ones that are off season, but they're all on the same closet rod. Right, right. That makes sense. So I was reading in your book, Lisa, about when you were a young child and you were at your grandmother's and you were putting together puzzles and it just meant so much to you to be putting together the pieces of this puzzle. And was that when you first knew that you were an organized person? You know, I don't know if it was when I was doing the puzzles, but it was definitely as a child, I knew that I was more organized than everyone else in my family. I knew that I was able to organize people in my family. And um, as I got into my teenage years, my mom is an artist. Mm -hmm. She's very creative. She was entrepreneurial. Well, everyone's entrepreneurial in my family, but she had her own clothing business. And she was always starting things like starting programs at the junior league and organizing parties and and being, uh, she was very into hospitality. And my father was a business owner as well, but he was a salesman. So his way of expressing himself was through telling stories and hanging out with people and golfing. It was through activity, not necessarily through things. Mm -hmm. Whereas my mom was usually expressing herself through art or creation or things or doing. Mm -hmm. And so my dad, I would say he's probably a minimalist or was a minimalist. And he 
would create this room for my mom to be creative in a craft room, but he didn't like that it was cluttered. Mm -hmm. And so she went away one day and he cleaned it for her Mm -hmm. and he cleaned it by putting it all in a hefty bag. Right. And she was so mad. I mean, the room looked fantastic and she was mad and he couldn't understand she was a card crafter. Like why throwing all these scraps of paper away like made her mad. She was furious. And I watched this happen. I was probably 16 or 17 at the time. Mm -hmm. And I had organized my mom up until that point. Um, But I set out a goal to be able to organize her craft room for her so that my dad liked the way it looked. And it took me a couple of years to do it successfully. The first year took a couple of days. The next time it was a mess, I went in and I just asked my mom a lot of questions like, why do you use this paper? When do you use this? Where do you use this tool? How often? Every day, every week, every month, only seasonally. And I started to understand her workflow And over the course of a couple of days, asking her a lot of questions with her right there, I was able to get the room organized with her. A couple months later, we did the same thing. It took maybe two days that time. A couple months later, we did it again in a day. And then I came back from college. She went out and ran errands. Her room was a mess. I hadn't seen her in a couple of months. So I didn't know what projects were specifically going on with the, with the, all the little knickknacks at that time, Mm -hmm. but I cleaned up the room. And she came home. She knew where I had put everything just based on the system we had created over time. And my dad loved the way it looked. And doing that craft room was when I got my PhD in organizing because I was able to make a space look like it should quote unquote look, but yet function how the person needed it to function. And that's how I've always organized. The space looks like it's supposed to look, but it functions the way the person needs it to function. So for example, when my kids were little and I was running a home-based business out of home and they were, you know, two and three years old, my kitchen looked like a kitchen, but it really was a home office. Like I even took a lot of the cooking stuff out of the cabinets. If you open the cabinets, you'd realize it was an office. It was a fully functioning office, but it looked like a kitchen. Right. Oh, that's that's very cool. And, you know, I just jotted down something you said, because I think this is really pivotal, especially for me. You said it was a system that we had created. Is this all about systems becoming organized? It is. And I don't know if it's necessarily like a paid for system, but it is a mindful way of thinking about how you use a space and then making that space work for you. I mean, think about it. All of these homes we live in today were pretty much designed in the United States anyway by architects in the 1950s, which were, I'm sure, 99.9% male, right? right? And here we are um, in 2016 when we're recording this interview. We do not live like people in the 1950s do. We don't, you know, primarily we're living and working out of our houses now. We're in our houses more than we ever have been, but yet house design hasn't changed at all. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, well, we yeah we have to make it work. So whether that means getting some bins and some containers, and you just have to know where everything is. I'm big on labeling myself, and some people laugh at me because I label everything because I think you know what if I put it in that bin, I might not remember in a couple of days where that stuff is. And if I right. if I see that label, then I'm like, oh, I just breathe a sigh of relief, and that to me is a sense of mindfulness, a sense of being able to just relax and know that things in my space are accessible. I won't have to be trying to remember where things are. I'll just know. It makes life so much easier, doesn't it, Lisa? 
Right. And I think especially when you're organizing common areas like laundry rooms and kitchens and place, you know, mud rooms, that's when labeling really helps as well. I often tell women, they're like, no way. When I organize the kitchen, everyone's going to mess it up. I'm like, trust me, they're not. Like if the bin says cereal bars, that's what they're going to go for cereal bars. And if the bin is labeled and you look in your pantry and it's empty, then you know what you're out of also. So it helps you make a quicker grocery list. So labeling really does help, especially as you're starting to get organized or as you're transitioning from one phase of life to the next and you're changing your organizational system, the labels will help you, you know, as you process through that change. Right. Sometimes I think when you're transitioning from one time of your life to another, it would be easier just to change homes and only take yes. what you want yes. with you and leave everything behind. Uh, I have I have an apartment building and I found that some of my tenants do that. When they move out, they just move out and they leave behind so much, so many of their possessions, which I'm shocked. You know, they leave behind photo albums and all kinds of things, but it's certainly one way to get organized, isn't it? Well, I do think that living in your home, we've lived in our home 20 years. I do think you have to be more mindful about your organization because there, again, there's no reason you have to go through that storage room and clean it out because you're not going anywhere. And who has time to do that anyway? So pretending like you're moving or every, you know, three to five years, really going through your entire house and purging it of everything that you don't need now in this new phase of life is a mindful, purposeful activity. Right. And I think, you know, that's that's a cool thing that you said, you know, pretend that you're moving. Another thing you could do is you could do that house trading thing, you know, where you go and you spend a vacation somewhere and you're living in somebody's house and somebody comes and lives in your house. Well, you could just pretend you're going to do that if you, even if you don't want to do it and just think, wow, what would it be like for some random person to come and live in my house? Would I be comfortable with that? Do you think that's a good mindset to have, Lisa? Oh my goodness. My mind cannot even wrap around what you just said. Like I, I never want to move. Like I love the fact we've lived in our house 20 years because do you know how much work it is to move? Like people who are listening to this who move are like, Oh, please. Yeah. Like, like seriously, you have to box it. We unpack people all the time and we unpack the, the randomest things or we help people get prepared for move. And it, I think your stuff becomes such a weight when you move because you have to pack it Mm -hmm. and unpack it and move it and ship it and see if it broke. And if I moved more often, I would have a lot less stuff than I do now because the thought of packing this up, there's no way. There's no way. Yeah. And I think that the... it's all about mindset. It's all about the thought. My wife said to me yesterday, she said, okay, I have this little chopper. It's a, I don't know, Black & Decker. It's this little electric chopper. You can chop an onion. You can chop different things, but it's just small. And she said, maybe you'd like it at your office because I know that sometimes, you know, you, you cook lunch or something. And so I thought, well, oh, and she said, but if you don't want it, make sure you bring it back. Don't, don't get rid of it. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) I don't understand that mindset really, but I have to, you know, respect it. So I took it to my office and then I thought, yes, I'm going to chop up an onion. And I did that and put it in that. And then I'm like, okay, but half of the onion is stuck to the side. So now, I need yep. a spatula. So I got out yep. the spatula and then I'm like, okay, now I have to take out the blade and I have to wash that. And I have to take out the container off the device and I have to wash that. And now I have to put the whole thing. Hey, just a second here. I think I could have done this a lot faster with one knife and one cutting board. And it would have taken probably about 
30 to 40 seconds. So is, isn't that something that tricks our mind? We think that there are so many gadgets and gizmos that are going to save our time, but they really don't. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I think, again, this is going to, I've been doing some reading the book um, by Strauss and Hall called Generations, and they have another one called The Fourth Turning. And then there's a book called Pendulum by another author. And they all talk about the, the way different generations look at the world and how different generations impact society. And the fact that there are these certain generations that go around cycle after cycle. So right now we have the silent generation, the baby boom, the Gen Xers, the millennials, and then Gen Z. And it's going to repeat. So the Generation Z is very similar to the silent generation. And the Generation Z's children, which will be born soon, will be very similar to the baby boomers. And our economy and our thoughts and everything go along these 80 year cycles as well. So we just had the recession of 2008. It's not a coincidence that that was 80 years from the crash of 1929. Like we go through these cycles and we go through cycles with our stuff as well. So if you look at baby boomers whose parents used a knife to cut up that onion, right? Mm -hmm. And then we had this great boom in society and we had all of this consumerism and advertising and the industrial age and all these new gadgets. And we bought all of these different kitchen items, right? right. And if you look at the, the kitchen of a millennial, they don't have that chopper. Right. They're using a knife because they're going back to simplicity and all of society is moving its way back towards simplicity. But 40 years from now, we're going to have another boom of innovation and all of that. And we'll go back to having stuff. So we're in this cycle where not only are the baby boomers and the silent generation downsizing, but the whole world as a whole is downsizing. So millennials are not, are not accumulating what their parents did accumulate. And my children who, and yours who are Gen Zers, they will accumulate even less than the millennials are accumulating right now. Hmm. Very interesting how life works in cycles, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, those books sound awesome. Oh, it's addicting when you start reading these. I just love that kind of like puzzling type analytical reading. None of none of those books are an easy read. Like right. Yeah, you can't read those at one and a half times speed on Audible. <laughs> you have to slow them down and re-listen to parts. <laughs> well, you have been involved in professional organizing for so long. Has that been your entire adult life or did you have a different career before? I was a school teacher before and I was a, uh, in direct sales. I sold creative memories scrapbooks for about 17 years. And I really have only been in official professional organization for the last five years. Oh, wow. And you already have a book and you have a podcast and you have a great credibility as an organizer. How did you establish so much so quick? Well, when I was... Um, 39. I quit my teaching job in December and which is not a good time to quit by the way, mm. <laughs> but I needed to, for my family, I needed to come home. And in 2009, I had had nine schedule C's on my tax return, nine legitimate businesses that I did. I was a teacher, a tutor. I cleaned houses. I did some organizing. I was in a couple of direct sales businesses and on and on. And so I was about to turn 40. I had quit my job. It just seemed like we'd been at the end of a really long spiraling road between my transition from my accumulation years into the survival years. That's how I, I call them as you transition from one phase of life to the next. My father had passed away. Just so many things had happened. I was about to turn 40. 
I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. I've always been an entrepreneur and I thought, okay, I'm going to grow a business this time, but I'm not going to jump into somebody else's like a direct sales business. I want to have my own brand. What, like, what can I offer people? What do I have that's unique that no one else has or not no one else, but what is, you know, what would be best for me? And when I looked at those nine jobs that I had, I realized I was successful in every single one because I bought and brought an organizational element to the job. Even the teaching job, I was hired because I knew how to organize and they wanted the closets in the um, school organized, which I did. Mm -hmm. So I realized it was the organization was the was the unique thing in all of the different jobs I'd had. And then that teaching element, that desire to grow a team and to teach people and to provide answers and products to solve a problem. And so I started my blog, Organize 365, January 1st, 2012, to build an online website resource for how to organize your home and your paper. But it's been a journey. Like I didn't know I was a professional organizer until April of that year when somebody told me I was. And I was like, oh, I started marketing that. But I, I always, I started not to organize people's individual homes, although we do that. Mm -hmm. I started because I wanted to empower others with the message that you can get organized. Organization is a skill that can be learned. It's not something you're born with or without. Like everyone can get organized. And so I've been on this journey over the last five years to really empower people with that message and then give them the tools they need to do it. Well, let's talk about your book because it really takes a specific mindset to write a book and to be mindful in a certain way so that you can go through the processes, start, middle, finish, and get that book done. Tell us how you accomplished that. So that's an interesting story. I actually had a published book in 2006. So I'd published with a publisher and I knew what it took to write a book. Uh -huh. And after I started with Organize 365, with which blogging is writing, you know, so yeah. you're writing. And as you start blogging about whatever business you're going to have, you go on this journey of not only um, helping other people to solve the problem that you're solving, but really realizing what you're best at. So there are a lot of blog posts I've eliminated about goal setting and growing a business. I always thought I was a business mentor, which I could be, but really my passion is in organizing your home and organizing your paper. And over time I became the expert in those and wrote a couple of eBooks. And I decided that it was time to write a book, like in order to, um, really go on TV shows or, or change the lexicon of organizing. I needed a book behind me because people take you more seriously. So I sat down to write the book and I thought it would just be a compilation of the eBooks that I had or some of the online blog posts. But as I sat down to write the book, I realized what was missing was this vocabulary that I had about how a woman goes through four phases of life. And I've named these four phases. The childhood phase goes from seven to 21 22 to 40 is the accumulation stage where you're accumulating spouses and houses and kids and all the mm -hmm. things that go with that. Survival is 40 to 55, and that's when you live in your car, and that's why your house is not organized. <laughs> and then somewhere around 55 plus is the downsizing and legacy phase where you're really starting to think about how much of this do I really need and what do I want the rest of my life to look like and what do I want to leave to the next generation? So I needed to get those words out there. And I found that in my podcast, those were the podcasts that were resonating with people the most, the idea that they were in a certain stage of life. And so if you were organizing your kitchen in the accumulation stage, 
you had to look at it differently than you would if you were in the downsizing stage. And so opening up that mindset of like, okay, it's not just kitchen organization, but it's kitchen organization for this phase of life. And that you get disorganized as you go from one phase to the next. And like you said, the whole idea of the fact that stuff has such a hold on us from our memories and how to separate the memories from the stuff. So it ended up, the book was not anything I thought it would be going into it. It really is a novel. And it takes you through these four phases of life. I've been through three of the four. So I take you through the three of the four in my own life and how I've organized myself in each phase. And then in the downsizing and legacy phase, I really dive into this whole idea that we've kind of gone into about how generations play into how we look at the stuff that has been saved and the stuff we've saved for future generations. Right. I really like how you put that book together. It makes perfect sense when you think about it to, you know, choose the phases. And, you know, you've got so much about mindset, but you do it in story fashion. So it's mm-hmm. a it's a really compelling read. I, I love what you've done with it. So, oh, yeah, way you. to go. You know, Lisa, I have uh, worked in the field of bullying prevention for some time, and I just find it's so intertwined with mindfulness. And mindfulness can really help people. People not to feel as though they're being bullied because there's a whole mindset element there. Were you ever bullied because of your organization skills or anything else? You know, I am such a positive person. Like I really have a positive mindset and I was made fun of and things like that, but I never really felt bullied except for this one time I had switched from a public school to a private Catholic school in fourth grade. And it was because my sister, my sister was starting kindergarten, I believe. And my mom was tired of driving us to those CCD classes on Monday nights. So she put us in the Catholic school. I believe there, I'm sure there was more to it than that, but that's what I knew. So I went there and Catholic schools are very small and the kids start in kindergarten and they go all the way through. Like you don't transfer in very often. And so I found that some girls had made a club against me, like they had made a club against me. And I remember coming home and my mom had this black rocking chair she'd gotten from my grandmother and she rocked me. I was a fourth grader and I just cried like a baby Mm -hmm. for like... I just, it seemed like forever. And she just sat there and rocked me. And and that's all I remember about that story. I, I think there was a club eventually, you know, I'm still Facebook friends with these people. Like we have a great relationship now, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but back then, um, I, I never really did make a lot of friends because I have an older mind. Like I always hung around my grandparents and my mm-hmm. parents and was able to talk with adults and I was raised that way. Yes. And so I was never really able to communicate with people at my own age until I was out of school. So school is really hard for me. But I wanted to share this one other story. Sure. Um, yesterday, my kids were arguing over something. And my daughter just needed to vent about what was going on. And um, my kids see therapists and, and, and have a whole bunch of issues going on. But, they, you know, they are... 15 and 16, which are really, really hard ages. And for some reason, I'm normally like move at the speed of light. I don't stop and reflect very much, you know, just sit and I hate small talk. So my daughter had said earlier that day, a couple of things I thought, Hmm, I just sat there and I listened to her and I could tell some things were, were rolling around in that head. So about an hour and a half later, she and my son got in an argument. I knew it had nothing to do with whatever they were arguing over. And so I just stepped in and, and listened to her and, 
And for about an hour, an hour, it was an hour because my, my husband walked the dog and came back (laughs) and we were still going at it. She just talked and cried and yelled and just, she, and she said a lot of the things she was thinking in her head. She was like, this happened and here's how I feel about it. And this is what I say about it, but I know that's not true. And I'm trying to get my mind to, I'm trying to get my reality to match my mind, essentially what she was saying, but I keep saying all these things, but I don't feel them and I don't think them, but I want to think them. So I'm going to keep thinking them. And then she was talking about what her therapist said. I thought, you know, so often she's a verbal processor, as am I. So often we just need to have somebody sit there silently and listen. So we can say, you know, this injustice is happening or I don't understand this or this isn't working out for me the way I want it to. And here are the things I'm trying to do that aren't working. And here are the things I've tried that have or haven't worked in the past and kind of come to your own decision, especially as it comes to relationships. This was all, you know, she's just started high school. Mm -hmm. So it's all about these new kids and how to fit in and how not to fit in and just listen, not to say anything, but to just Listen, it's so interesting. If you could just sit there and listen to your kids, especially if they're teenagers, yeah. you'll really find out what's going on in their in their minds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you definitely can. You definitely can. And sometimes you have to listen a lot if they say very little. Right, <laughs> because right. Because my son, he's 15 too, and uh, he doesn't say a lot. But sometimes it's what they don't say that you have to listen to. You know, you have to listen in those spaces. and just being ready when they do because our son doesn't talk very much either but then when he does you need to be able to just stop and listen because he's a thinker so when he says something this means he's been thinking about it for a long long time like it's not an off-the-cuff remark so I need to take it even more seriously and realize where that's coming from yeah I totally agree Lisa my next questions are part of the multi-mode round just short 30 second answers are perfect here's the first one (laughs) who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness I I would have to say it's Jesus because he always thought first and acted second awesome how has mindfulness affected your emotions I'm much calmer now. I have a much longer view of things and I don't get so caught up in the moment. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. That's so interesting. My cousin-in-law this summer taught me how to breathe because he's doing a lot of mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And so I find myself, I get a lot of migraines. I find myself lately saying, okay, well, drink some water and just breathe. And it's been able to eliminate about half of my migraines. Wow, I love that. If you could recommend a book, and I know you've recommended several, do you have any others that you would recommend on mindfulness? One that really changed my mindset was called The Big Leap by Gay Hendricks. I really loved that book. Oh, yeah, what a great author. If you could uh, recommend an app which helps you to be more mindful, what would that be? I would say Have Less Apps. (laughs) I think the thing I did was I turned all the notifications off on all my apps, including the little red thing that tells you how many messages you have waiting, like just turn them all off. And about um, every quarter I go through and I delete apps. So I go through and I delete pictures and apps and 
uh, get better memory on my phone and just delete anything I haven't used in the last three months. Love it. And I heard that episode of your podcast where you talked about that. And it's so true. You know, it, it just, it keeps our minds buzzing all the time when we've got alerts going on and we're checking our phone for this and that and the other thing. So yeah, great, great advice. And you've given us so much advice during this call. How can Mindful Tribe connect with you to learn more about what you do, Lisa? So if you're ready to start organizing your home, I have a bunch of resources, some free, a lot paid, and you can find all of those at organize365.com slash start. Wow. What great value. And, and your book too. We don't want to forget that. How do we get your book? So the mindset of organization is on Kindle, both in or Amazon, both in Kindle and paperback, and it'll be available in Audible form sometime in early 2017. Great. Well, thanks again for being on the show, Lisa. Thank you, Bruce. Okay, bye now. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.